Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in my home studios in South Bend, Indiana, and sitting across from me in his home studio in Portland, Oregon, is the man who was the stunt driver that made every single one of those beautiful jumps in the classic television show, The Dukes of Hazard. Friends, meet Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. Hello, Ken. How you doing? I'm well, thanks. Well, you know, you when are... you're from the East Coast, you're from Jersey, you can drive, bro. You can drive. That comes with the territory right there. <laughs> well, you did a bang up job, quite literally. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, you know, that's great. A few weeks ago, I was actually in New Jersey because I, I went to a conference and I flew through Newark. Does that count as New Jersey? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, yes. I went through the Lincoln Tunnel and everything. So, Oh, you went through the Lincoln Tunnel. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're going yeah. uptown there. Went into Midtown, exactly. I, my conference was... Uh, so I went actually a few weeks ago to the uh, to the New York Encounter, which is a, a three-day uh, cultural experience, a cultural conference um, that is sponsored by the Lay Catholic Group uh, Communion and Liberation. Oh and, yeah, uh, had a wonderful time. It was yeah. it was neat. I, I had a chance. I was invited to go to um, uh, have conversations with people for the podcast that I do at the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture in my day job at the University of Notre Dame. And so I uh, had some wonderful conversations, including uh, including one with uh, um, the dean of the um, College of uh, the Humanities at George Fox University there in, in Newburgh, Oregon. And I had a great chat with Greg Wolf, who is the um, uh, editor, longtime editor of Image Journal, which po- has published a lot of uh, fiction and poetry that um, kind of struggles with faith and kind of has faith at its core, uh, kind of some of the new Christian humanism, really a neat, a neat project. Um, and so, yeah, just had a, a wonderful time. Um, and that was uh, kind of some of my first travel since uh, since COVID. So it was a great chance to to um, meet some wonderful people and to have great conversations and to go to New Jersey. So pretty much everything you can want in a in a uh, in a trip. Oh, that's awesome! Love it, yeah. love it. And you weren't, yeah, when you were in Newark Airport, you weren't too far from where I went to high school. Oh, really? And uh, actually, not too far from where I grew up either. So. Pretty close. Uh, you know, I fact, actually during the summer, um, my brothers, we used to go up. Well, our parents would kill us if they knew this, but um, <laughs> we used to go up on our roof. There, there was a, a overhang on our roof. And we used to go out there in the summertime and watch the planes land at Newark Airport. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, As you mentioned it, I remember seeing a sign on one of the exits that said the childhood home of Deacon Harold Burke Sivers <laughs> this way. Uh, and unfortunately I wasn't driving. I was on a bus, so I, I couldn't, you know, take, but, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll get there my, my next trip. I'll take an Uber directly there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Child <at> home with <laughs> Deacon. Oh man. Well, Deacon, uh, you know, last week we talked about kind of Lenten practices and, uh, because, you know, here we are more than halfway through Lent. Now we're kind of on the, on the 
I don't want to say downhill slide because Lent is meant to really prepare us for a joyful, for the glory that is the passion, death, and resurrection of the Lord. Um, so it's not a downhill slide, but we are on the, the, the we're coming in hot as it were. And um, so, but uh, one of the things that we've never talked about in, you know, 338 previous episodes of Living Stones, somehow we have never talked together about the Stations of the Cross, which is one of the most beloved and longest standing uh, kind of paraliturgical uh, uh, devotional practices uh, in the Catholic Church. And so I thought, gosh, you know, here Lent is the prime time when the Stations of the Cross is at the fore. A lot of parishes will have Stations of the Cross on Friday night, often followed with a, you know, a soup supper or a simple, you know, a fish fry or something like that. But it's an opportunity to actually enter into and reflect upon the passion of the Lord, specifically from his arrest to his burial. And uh, we need to spend some time ourselves uh, talking about the Stations of the Cross. So, Deacon, what do you know about the Stations of the Cross? What's your experience? Well, again, like you, I can't believe that we haven't talked about this yet. Um, but the Stations of the Cross, you know, most most people are familiar with them. Um, one of two ways. Typically, in many parishes on Fridays in Lent, they'll, they'll have uh, an evening liturgy or may have a, a simple uh, soup uh, supper. And, uh, you know, and, and staff stations of the cross. And, you know, when you walk in any church, you see the stations, 14 of them, you see them, you know, maybe seven on one side of the church, seven on the other side of the church. And it depicts the, the, the passion of Jesus, you know, um, starting with, uh, him being condemned by Pilate all the way to him being laid into tomb. And so it's much deeper, I think, than even the, the sorrowful mysteries, you know, uh, the yeah. Psalms of Princeries do cover those, but but the Stations of the Cross are a, a more of extended meditation on the passion and death of Jesus. And I would encourage you during uh, Lent, if they, if they have it at your parish, Stations of the Cross, to attend at least once or twice for the remaining time that we have during Lent. Again, many of the parishes will do it on Fridays as, as a way of, of bringing the community uh, together. And, and in fact, our parish used to do it uh, well before COVID, but we used to extend an invitation to the uh, Anglican church that's down the street. Oh yeah, um, because it's not mass, right? There's no communion or anything. They can come and and we all pray the stations of the cross together, a little a simple soup uh, dinner, and then pray the stations of the cross. And uh, it's wonderful, uh, wonderful meditation on what Christ suffered, you know, yeah. for us. So, so the stations of the cross in your local parish um, is based upon a devotion that was promoted primarily by the Franciscans beginning in, uh, in the 14th century, a little after that. And, but devotion to the passion of Christ actually began with the crucifixion itself. Um, there is this constant tradition that has held that the blessed mother herself actually walked over and over the narrow streets that uh, her son had walked in procession from the praetorium, from the, the spot where Pilate uh, sat in judgment over Christ, and all the way to the gate, you know, that led out from the holy city to the hill of Golgotha. So tradition tells us that, that Mary walked this over and over, 
and that we think of that and that this particular path is what's called the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows. And even to this day, that is a very, um, it is one of the most powerful parts of any pilgrimage to Jerusalem, is to walk the actual way of the cross, the Via Dolorosa proper. It's about a mile long uh, from the spot where the Praetorium was, where the, the Roman headquarters in the province of Judea was within the old city of Jerusalem. It's about a mile from there to just beyond the old wall, the old gate, that now, uh, of course, it's all still within the the old city now, but it would have been outside the walls of Jerusalem because, of course, the crucifixion took place outside the walls on this hill of Golgotha, which was beyond the city limits of Jerusalem at the time of Christ. And so there are uh, tradition, as you said, there are 14 stations. There have been, this is kind of the number that's been set pretty much since about the 1600s, uh, since uh, the the um, actual St. Leonard of Port Morris was a Franciscan who kind of really was the primary guy that, that promoted the devotion to the Stations of the Cross. It was uh, the late, 17, late 17th century, so 1686. It was Pope Innocent the 11th who granted the universal church to get the same indulgence that a pilgrim who made it all the way to Jerusalem would get by praying the stations of the cross in their local place. And so, um, so it was this St. Leonard of Port Morris who gave us the 14 stations and, um, they are reflections in many ways that are extra, we might describe them as extra scriptural. Some of the things definitely we read about in the scriptures, we read about Simon helping Christ carry the cross, Simon of Cyrene. We read about Jesus falling along the way and about it being a difficult path. We, of course, read about Jesus encountering the women. But in the stations, there are, for example, along the way, there Jesus falls one, two, and three times. The scriptures don't tell us that he fell three times, but the scriptures do talk about it being an actual difficult path. And so this is where the 14 stations come. And I think maybe, you know, we have a little time tonight. Maybe we might kind of think about the stations proper uh, in their order and uh, and kind of what do you pray with when you when you think of these? So the very first station is Jesus is condemned to death. Um, Pontius Pilate, it, you know, washes his hands of Christ. He says, you know, this is on your, you, the, the people of, uh, of Israel. This is your fault. I find him innocent. In some, you know, there's, there's, a some people that, that look at that and say, this is, there's a, um, I believe it's the Nestorian church actually considers Pontius Pilate to be a saint because of that, because they say without him, you know, without his action, Christ doesn't, you know, get condemned. But the Roman Catholic Church, we do not consider Pontius Pilate a saint. We also, at the same time, we don't say that he's condemned for all eternity either. You know, we trust in the mercy of God. Um, The arrest, though, is one of the most powerful scenes, because when we say, when we share and recite the uh, Passion of Our Lord at Mass, coming up on Palm Sunday and then again on Good Friday, we ourselves are inserted into that story. We are the ones who shout, crucify him, crucify him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and just a just a, a quick little note about the condemnation, you know, he was put into a 
um, into prison right on Holy Thursday night before he went before Pilate on Friday. And it was a, if you've been the Holy Land, it's a cistern is actually yeah. what he was in. So there was water in there, you know, and, and, and tradition says he was praying Psalm 88. And when you're in there, they actually have a book in, in at least two dozen different languages of Psalm 88. Uh, again, tradition tells us that's Jesus, that was the Psalm Jesus prayed. And if you read it, it makes perfect sense. You know, um, he, he feels like, God, where are you right now? You know, I'm, right. I'm about to go through something really hard. But my line that always gets me, no matter how many times I pray that Psalm, friend and neighbor you have taken away. My one companion is darkness. Like, dang, yeah. dang. <laughs> that gets me all the time because it's so real. I mean, how many times have you've been through something and you feel that God is not there. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, of course God is always there, but you just feel like in your heart, like you, where is God right now? Yeah. You know, and to, to know that Jesus in his human nature experienced that same desolation so that he could redeem it on the cross the next day. It's just mm-hmm. uh, remarkable. That's the Friday night Compline Psalm too, yep. you know, it comes up and it's just, yeah, it, it pierces you to the heart. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. The second station is Jesus takes up his cross. Of course, he tells us that if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, he must renounce himself and take up his cross every day and follow me. That was actually the gospel like on on Thursday after uh, at the very beginning of, of Lent, the day after Ash Wednesday, the gospel reminds us we must daily take up our cross and follow him. Christ literally took up his cross. You know, and think about it. When Christ told his disciples that, that was before the crucifixion. He told his disciples that early on in his ministry. That comes from Luke chapter 9. Christ doesn't even take up his physical cross until Luke chapter 24. So there's a little bit of premonition there. The Christian life is a struggle because it's a struggle against sin, sin that we commit, sin that others commit. It's to take up our cross is to follow Christ in his footsteps. Yeah, absolutely. And in the Passion of the Christ, there's a nice little scene in there when Jesus takes the cross. He it's it's subtle. So next time you watch it, pay attention for it. But he kind of embraces the cross. Yes. And I was like, yeah. oh wow. You know, that I mean, again, the little subtle, these little details like that. You know, he he, he knows he's he's gonna die on that, but but the way he embraced it. You know, I wish to talk about the cross just for a second, too. So he's probably picking up his cross. There Please. are two parts of the cross. There's the vertical piece that's called the stipe. And the horizontal piece is called the patibulum. And um, Jesus would have the stipe actually would have been in the ground at the side of the crucifixion. So he would have carried only the patibulum or the the um, horizontal the part of the, yeah. the crossbar or horizontal part of the cross on his shoulders. Uh, so, I mean, it, obviously in the movies, it's depicted he's carrying the actual cross, but in re, if you study uh, the, the Roman practice of crucifixion, they, they would have, he only would have carried the, the cross beam. Wow. Okay. The third station, Jesus falls for the first time. Um, and again, as we mentioned, this is kind of the extra, extra, um, this is part of sacred tradition in a way, you know, that Jesus falls along the way. Um, uh, it's a, a part of the minor tradition, but we pray this because it reminds us that it wasn't just a cakewalk. This was actual journey in the midst of streets that were full of people. If you've ever walked in Jerusalem, 
in the mid-morning, which is about the time this would have been because he gets there by noon, we're talking about people that were going about their busy day that weren't even thinking about this guy who's been condemned down the street. You know, that took place and now I've got to go get my shopping done because it's, you know, the beginning of the, uh, of, of the Passover, so they've got to go get their groceries and things like that. The streets are packed. Jesus is walking and is condemned and is walking. And so, of course, he's going to fall. He's going to stumble. That patibulum is heavy. Yeah. And remember the scourging, the scourging, with especially, right. the, uh, you know, they probably started with the rods and then switched the cat and nine tails, um, mm-hmm. you know, and those have steel balls in- embedded in the leather as, as well as um, pits of uh, bone and teeth, animal Oof. bone and teeth. You know, it's, it's designed to weaken, weaken the person. Um, uh, so, so through blood um, loss and yeah, blood loss yeah. and stuff like that. So they, he's carrying the cross. He's already lost a lot of blood. He's already have severe bruising and, you know, he's already was in a weakened state and now he has to carry this cross for a mile, you know? So it's just, uh, no, there's no, no, no surprise that he falls at all. None. No. The fourth station, Jesus meets his mother. Um, we know that Mary was told, you know, when Christ was presented in the temple, Simeon gave the prophecy that a sword will pierce your own heart as well, that the thoughts of many may be laid bare. This is one of the great sorrows of Our Lady, is her meeting her son on his way to the crucifixion. Yeah, I just, I can't even, I can't even imagine that. that for me, that was the, that was when I first started crying the Passion of the Christ. Because uh, yeah. the way they depicted that, when Jesus meets his mother, you know, because as she was running toward him, there, she was having flash. There was flashbacks to when Jesus was a little boy and he fell down the stairs and she was hanging laundry. And she drops the basket and runs after him. And then it cuts back to her running to Jesus. Then it cuts back to him as a little boy. And it cuts back to her, you know, kind of kneeling down when Jesus falls in front of her. And, you know, as a parent, you just I mean, you totally could feel that like you would move heaven and earth to help your child. You know, and she gave birth to him and, and, you know, all these prophecies. She's probably thinking back when the kings came and they brought those gifts and the and the and the the, the shepherds came. And now this, you know, Uh, she's she got all these things in her heart and now her heart is breaking. Her heart is torn, you know, um, seeing her son have to suffer. You know, it's just I can't even imagine as a a parent going through something that watching your only child die um, and and suffer the way that the Lord did. Mm. The fifth station, Simon of Cyrene, helps Jesus carry his cross. Um, We read about this, of course. Simon of Cyrene, uh, you know, um, John, in his gospel, actually has to reassert that Christ carried his own cross, too. You know, because this ends up being a bit of a a point of contention. People misconstrue this. Uh, But Christ carried his cross, and then Simon helped him because Christ was so broken, as you said. Christ, Jesus was... uh, broken and torn apart quite literally by the scourging. Um, Not to mention the psychological, you know, meeting his mother and breaking her heart and knowing. And yet Christ is still going to be nailed to that very cross. Ultimately, it doesn't matter if he carried it all the way because he will be nailed to it at the end. And the reality is that they didn't want him to die before they were able to crucify him. So they had to no. help carry, you know, they, 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 they wanted to get their pay off. He was almost scourged to death. If you yeah. look at the Shroud of Turin, you see the, the amount of blows and bruising and, you know, 
Uh, and, and this is still a reminder for we need to carry our cross as well. You know, right. <laughs> we, we, we need help carrying our cross. It, we, we can't do help. this by ourselves. Exactly. And that's where, you know, we ask one another, we, we say, you know, please pray for me. I'm going through X. I'm going through Y. Those are requests of somebody who is carrying a heavy cross. Yes. And our responsibility is to be Simon for that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to ask for help, too. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes recognize you need Simon's help right then yeah, and there. That's right. If you got problems with your marriage, go to counseling, get some help. There you it's go. all right. You mentioned the Shroud of Turin. And interestingly enough, the sixth station is Veronica wipes the face of Jesus. The great image in art is of a woman with a cloth and she has wiped the face of Christ and his face has made an imprint of an image of his face, including the crown of thorns. Some, you know, I don't, uh, I haven't seen them myself. I've only seen photos, but there are uh, the Shroud of Turin as a similar face than those of, of pieces of cloth in Orvieto. Um, there's one that, that matches up, like all the points on the face match up exactly as those on the Shroud of Turin. Um, the church doesn't make pronouncements about right. whether or not these are authentic relics, but the, I look at them as leading people to see the passion and to reconnect with the passion and to show the pain and the actual physical suffering. Um, I myself am not in any position to pass judgment either, but I can say looking at those reminds me of what actually took place on Good Friday. Absolutely. And I think sometimes you know, the, the Lord may give us signs that point to a deeper reality. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Amen. The seventh station, Jesus falls a second time. Again, the pain. Um, now, it's interesting. Think about it. Simon is carrying the cross. Jesus falls a second time. That's because he's even weaker now than he yeah. was, even if he's not not under the pain of, of carrying that crossbar. He is still stumbling. The streets are still busy. He's being jeered the entire time he's going. This is pain. Yeah, that's right. And it doesn't say that Simon helped him carry it all the way to the to Calvary. That's you know, true. so he may have carried it only for a little while and then that was it. So that's that's an excellent point. You know, and having walked the Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem, there's a portion where it is actually uphill. Yeah, and it's that's a long true. hill. And yeah. then you have to take a 90 degree turn left and then a 90 mm. degree turn right. And mm. it gets narrower and narrower, and there are stores above you, and it's it's it is a powerful experience to watch yes. the actual Via Dolorosa. Uh, Jesus meets the women of Jerusalem in the eighth in the eighth station, and he tells them, "Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me; weep rather for yourselves and for your children." Mm. Even then, he's he's recognizing that it's going to get even worse for a little while, but he's about to conquer death for us. Yes, that that's the key conquering death. I mean, you know, pray for your children, because obviously what's going to happen with the temple um, being destroyed in 70 AD and all that, but, but what's going to not going to be overthrown or what, what he is going to conquer is death. That's the key. That's the key. Remember death means to cut yourself off from God's life. So he's going to restore that life to us now uh, in the resurrection. The ninth station, Jesus falls a third time. We've we've talked about falling. It's awful. But this is, Before then, the 10th station, Jesus is stripped of his garments. 
Um, you know, he told us, none of you can be my disciple unless you give up all your possessions. He, he told, told us that in Luke chapter 14. Um, he himself gives up literally everything, even unto his garments, which fulfills a prophecy as well. You know, they have, they have cast lots for my garments. Yeah, Psalm 22. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple of things here, you know, um, yeah, well, they, they stripped him of his garments. A couple of things. First of all, he was crucified naked um, because not only did the Romans want to maximize the pain, they want to maximize the embarrassment. And then oh. second, remember the blood that um, the, the wounds that were caused by the scourging would have dried with his clothes on. Now they rip it would have ripped open oh. even the, 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 the scars the and, scabs, and the wounds, yeah. you yeah. know, so even more painful. Oof. The 11th station, Jesus is nailed to the cross. This is when we're reminded most especially of him praying, you know, I have come from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. And that will is not that Christ suffer. That will is that we be restored to life, that the people that God created out of love be restored to perfect love. And it is love of obedience and love of self denial and self-gift yes yep. and those nail box would have been made in his wrists and they say his hands which is true but the wrist was considered part of the hand yeah Oof. because you can't yeah yeah the the hand hanging from them he would have would have torn, would have torn right through off. his hand yeah. yeah exactly jesus dies on the cross in the 12th station this is of course when we know the veil of the temple was torn in two um, and this is the actual moment in which our salvation is accomplished. Yeah. And third, they, they, remember, he always refers to death as sleep. So he's in the sleep, the terror de my Hebrew, the sleep of death. The 13th, or, uh, the 13th station, Jesus is taken down from the cross. We have this image, of course, of the Pieta, Jesus being laid in the, in his mother's arms, the dead body of Christ, most Beautifully, of course, depicted by Michelangelo. Um, but this is uh, that piercing of her heart once again. Yeah. And of course, in the final stage, he's laid in the tomb, you know, and then we have that that time of silence and quiet until uh, till Easter Sunday morning. That, that beautiful Holy Saturday homily reading, you know, there's a strange silence in the earth. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Love it's it. coming up real soon. That's right. Deacon, we've run out of time tonight. And we're going to leave people with this. We're going to leave people with Christ in the tomb because we know it's not the end of the story, but we've run out of time. But that's yep. <laughs> okay. We're going to sit in that silence. Yes. We invite you to connect with previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook at Living Stones Media. But Deacon, until we gather next week, and when we do so, it will be Holy Week. Might we have a blessing? May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.